things are going to start happening to me now. You've done all the reading. You're a scholar. You're a professor. You've done all the reading. You've done the intellectual heavy lifting. Or less, eat shit and die. You wouldn't know a fact if it begged you all night long. Want to like, um, you know, give the wrong impression because I am, I I am very high. Could ran up behind him with a hatchet. Smash, smash, smash. Yeah, care. I'm a libertarian. What I'm getting is. Did why? you vote for Joe Jorgensen or Trump? Who? That's Joe Jorgensen. That was the perfect answer. Thank you. <laughs> that and welcome everybody to the Libertarian Podcast Review. This is Tyler Yonke. What do we do here? We review podcasts. We bring you those autistic stars you didn't know you needed to have in your life. We also do a thing called Kill Podcast with Andy, Garbage Main, and myself. But this week is completely different. This is this is Tom Woods week. And what are we talking about here? Well, first of all, go hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. We want to see you join this because all week we're going to be presenting Tom Woods. Who is Tom Woods? We're going to go over in depth who Tom Woods is. We're going to play clips of him. One thing this Tom Woods fellow does is often he'll have a, a prime guest and he'll do a week, Michael Malice week, as an example. And all week long is just Michael Malice interviews and he plays them out. I don't know if there's a way of Tom of being able to kind of stream out your show. You know, it's like in the 80s, they'd have a, a clip show, right? Where it's like uh, someone's in a, in something and they keep having a remembrance thing and they play clips of that they've already done. It's just the way that they mail it in. Is this Tom Woods mailing it in? I don't think so, because you still got to do it. But I think is what you do is he does an interview with that person like all week or, or one, at a time, one time, sit, sitting maybe two hours, and then he just cuts it up and he puts it out there. And I, and I think that's great. So we are going to do this um, as well. Once again, um, we're in Rumble. We're on Odyssey. We're on YouTube, Locals. Uh, we've also got Substack. Uh, we do a members only thing, which is just kind of like a hate watch uh, behind the paywall. We release that live to their members on Odyssey. A week later, it goes over to Spotify, 99 cents over there. And then a week after that, it actually goes over to the Substack for free, but you just got to be a member. Uh, and that is just to kind of gatekeep our community. Okay, um, let's uh, feature show. Tom Wood's show probably needs no introduction, but we're going to do one uh, anyway. This, this is the way we've done it. Uh, as of recording of this, he has a little over 25, 2300 podcast episodes. So he's been doing five days a week or so, multiple times, uh, for back the way to 2013, 2014, I think. And so I've decided we're going to cut this up into uh, each day. We're going to play clips of his show. And uh, day one is going to be one through 460. We're going to play 460 clips. No, I'm kidding. We're going to do some of the highlights of that. Um, day two, breakdown of the podcast, going over the different categories and my breakdown of each. Uh, oh, sorry. Day one, we're going to do the intro to the series. Who is Tom? His podcast is Influence on the Libertarian Movement, the controversy surrounding Tom Woods, Southern Speech, a show with Matt Walsh um, on Mal Michael Malice. Who his friends are and associates with is some personal stuff about Tom, if possible. The best man in his wedding evidently was Michael Malice. We'll talk about that. Dave is a good friend of his. And then we're going to play, like I said, clips one through 460, some of those. Uh, break down the podcast on day two, going over to more categories. Uh, start with clips 461 to 920. Day three, clips of his interviews, 921 to 1380. 
day four, clips of his interviews, 1381 to 1840, and more interview clips, day five, clips, uh, conclusions of the podcast, ratings, etc. 1841 to over 2300. I, I was going to, when I started this, I'm like, oh, he's almost up to 2300. We'll just cut it there. Uh, as of today, he's up to 2304. The motherfucker just, uh, pardon the French, keeps going on there. Um, so over uh, over that one, over the five-day period, um, we'll get into this a little bit, and you'll you'll hear some of his stuff on, on day one. Um, just some of the things I've got into here. He started by subbing in for Peter Schiff on his radio show. Then he spun off with the, his own episode. Number one was on October 29, 2014, Michael Bolden and Will of the 10th Amendment Center. And we're going to play some clips of that. Uh, Peter Schiff hit my radar during the Occupy Wall Street. Uh, I, I started seeing a bunch of videos of him. He was going down there talking to a bunch of these people and he was just killing them with the economic stuff, but he did it in, a, in an engaging way. That's when I, first, but I don't remember at all hearing about Tom Woods. Uh, maybe I did at the time, just did not uh, come into me because I was a nice uh, conservative at the time. Um, so this was kind of a, a precursor to a shift would do kind of a, what I say is a precursor to the Ben Shapiro, you know, owning the libs type of thing, going on college campuses. Uh, Cause it was shift on the streets and I thought it was uh, fantastic. Um, like I said, I didn't know much about Tom. I don't remember. I know he did some stuff on Glenn Beck at the time. Um, and obviously the Peter Schiff show, but um, I just, I just didn't know about him. Uh, however, when I did get more involved in libertarian uh, thought stuff, I'd say it's around 2016. And I've talked about this a little bit. I did find Tom. Um, but to be honest, I, I was searching for podcasts in a libertarian and I saw him and I, I, I saw his picture and I said, you know what? I've been in this conservative movement too long. I don't want to have another buttoned up Mr. Topham hat type uh, guy preaching to me. So I, I literally ignored him. And, and you know what? He looked like David Bowes to me of the Cato Center. And that might have been, Tom, I'm apologizing if you happen to ever see this. Apologize for that. Um, I just didn't want to hear another conservative guy, you know, talking as how I should. Anyway. And and you know what it was? It's I didn't want to see this straight-laced looking guy telling me how to like embrace positive sex uh norms those kind of things it's just it didn't want i just i could i had had the hypocrisy of the the conservatives too much and i didn't know what i was expecting i'm just like this is not the guy i i want to go with but then i found camille foster talked about this before through reason magazine matt walsh or was it matt, matt welch sorry i said matt walsh before too matt well, do i have to start this whole podcast over that's a that's the 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 terminal uh, problem, right? You don't you don't say that. Matt Welch uh, and he's discussing his new podcast, The Fifth Column. I checked that out with Moynihan and Camille Foster and, and Matt Welch. Um, and then it wasn't too long that I got through these Michael Malice, Thaddeus, and then Dave Smith, and then Tom Woods, and then I, I've been a big fan ever since. Um, he's been a mainstay in my podcast ro uh, rotation ever since. Uh, Tom Woods does it all he's a historian with an ivy league degree who knows as much on austrian economics as most economists with mises institute he's written dozens of books has more ebooks than you can imagine and a website uh, about every relevant political catch phrase uh, during tom covid tom became a beacon of knowledge and counter information with interviews and thought leaders and those willing to risk their careers to get the right information out Tom famously had a YouTube video go viral of a speech pushing back on the COVID narratives only to have YouTube strike and take it down. I think that was one that he had done through the Mises Institute, too. It might have been one that he had had. I think uh, I, I just want to guess here that it was with uh, Ron Paul in um, 
in, in Texas, actually. I, I'm thinking that was the one that he had. I'm, I could be wrong, though. Uh, this even reached my conservative sister, who, by the way, just the other day sent me a text or a, a yeah, text in a snapshot. She was on Truth. I mean, she's a Truth Social person. So it's just kind of interesting that he was been able to connect. So this goes into some of my categories we'll talk about later about, can, is this a podcast you give to normies? And once again, I think... Tom's straight lace stuff surprises you sometimes when he's not, but it engages you at other times when it needs to be. And I think that's a, that's a good stuff. Um, my sister even signed up for his daily email. And so and that was good. Controversies about Tom Woods. I've discussed some of them already. Um, and I think they're all explainable. First, you can't do 2,300 podcasts and hide outright racism. He's, he's blatant with his race. No, that's not what I mean. Uh, you can't do media, write books, guest spots, and other podcasts, and be on Twitter and hide outright racism. The haters will point out that they claim is, is racism, but you can only get there with a lot of conjecture, straw men, and lies. Lastly, there's an issue with Tom and his ex-wife. I think I'm just going to kind of let that go. There's been a lot of controversy online about this. I would just say uh, they have five kids together. It's been years and years after the fact of this. I don't think it's an issue. And by the way, just just going out there, this this could be my conjecture. Maybe this is not even appropriate for me to say, but I believe Tom's a good Catholic man that you're probably looking at two people that um, stayed, uh, how do you say this, chaste until marriage. So all the controversy, all the problems there, I, I don't think they even are. It's just people that are trying to go after him for some other things. And once again, when you have five kids and you've gone on, um, I don't care what their age differences were when you first got married. Everything seems to be legal and on the up and up. So I'm just really not going to care about that one. So let's start. Um, I'm also going to play some of the Michael Malice's interview with Matt Welch and Tom Woods on your welcome a few years ago. I re-listened to that one, and we're going to play some of those clips and kind of get into it. But but before we do that, I thought we'd take a look first here at uh, the – what is this? The Wikipedia page of Tom Woods, born in 1972. So I'm officially older than Tom by a year. Um, libertarian commentator, uh, Austrian School of Economics, daily podcast. We know that BA from Harvard, impressive. Uh, a master's of philosophy and PhD from Columbia, all in history. His thesis became, became the church confronts modernity, Catholic intellectuals in the progressive era, which he has... Uh, Nothing to do with libertarianism, says. Okay. Um, a lot of publications, a lot of good books. Uh, Meltdown, I think, was his big one, uh, kind of around the shift time that he had been there, and he kind of it was really a, a boon. Uh, I thought I would read part of this about the affiliation with League of the South. That's been kind of the big controversy that people seem to bring to him all the time. I think his explanation is easily um, understood, and it shouldn't be one that we just um, you know dismiss, in a sense. Um, let's go here. I'll read it real quick here. In 1994, Woods was a founding member of the League of the South for which he has been criticized. Woods has argued that the League has changed its politics and was not racist or anti-Semitic in 1994. In a 2005 article in Reason Magazine called out Woods for his background on neo-Confederate organizations, stating his views meant he was not libertarian. The author also noted his frequent writings in the group's magazine, The Southern Patriot, up through 1997, received a quote from Woods stating that he didn't disagree with most of the views he made in said publications. Uh, yeah, so basically, do you disown the writings that you did? Well, if you're not writing about anything other than just like economics and history and it's not racial in its bent, why would you disagree? 
just because the magazine you had there. An article of the same year by a member of the League of the South published in the American Conservative praised Wood's background in the group, his book, and the views expressed within, especially those concerning the Confederacy. So, uh, I mean, I'm from the North, but who cares? And its uh, defeat was, quote, the defining moment when the United States took its steps towards the abyss of the monstrous centralized state, ruthless society, and decadent culture that we have today. By the way, when listening to all these podcasts and stuff that I'm doing the clips for, um, I heard an interview with him and Pat Buchanan on nullification. We'll play some of those clips uh, where he actually says, I don't know if it was the best thing or not um, the, 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 the South engaged in the war. I, I mean, you know, the, 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 the typical thing, the uh, McClanahan type of, is, you know, pushing against the, um, uh, Abraham Lincoln and you know he's a horrible guy and and Tom's just kind of on the middle of that so uh, anyway we'll, we'll get to part of that uh, 2013 an article by nonprofit political research associates which studies right-wing white supremacy and extremist groups noted that Woods was a frequent speaker at neo-confederate events throughout the 1990s and since then uh, along the contributing of the American secession blah 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 we'll just anyway uh, secession libertarian and his ongoing involvement with members of the white supremacist League of the South, though pointed out that it was likely he was naive in his viewpoints, but not racist. Okay, well, there you go. Woods contended, here's the big part, in 2018 that the League was founded as a decentralist organization and then later took a dramatic and vicious turn towards racism and anti-Semitism. Woods argued, quote, to show that the organization has undergone a dramatic change, I don't exactly need to hire a private detective. The league's <laughs> president himself wrote of having made a conscious change to the league such that we have radicalized by openly and directly addressing the Negro question and the Jew question. Uh, here is expressed admission that he was already obvious to anyone of goodwill. This is not the league. Jeffrey Tucker and I joined in 1994. Anyone otherwise had no idea what he was talking about. This, in fact, is why all the PhDs present at the League's founding, including one of the tops, uh, world's top David Hume scholars, all, by all accounts, are all are long gone. Even as Southern Poverty Law Center, a racist organization itself, now concedes. In an interview with Reason TV's Matt Welsh, Woods stated, anyone who knows or listens to me knows I would not be involved with anything sinister. The problem is I will not apologize because the group I joined were a bunch of nerdy academics like me, and there is nothing wrong with that group. I could save myself an enormous amount of grief if I would apologize, but I will not apologize for this because I am sick and tired of cowards who give in to this type of pressure. Uh, well said, and then I thought I started, you know, the COVID stuff showed actually what kind of a man Tom was, which was uh, ballsy and uh, not a coward. So there you go. Okay. Um, that is where we are there with that one. Now, where are we going to go? Let's start with, um, okay. So I've got to add in some screen, some stuff here. Let's start with, um, his interviews with the Michael Malice and, um, the Matt Welch, Welch, making sure I have the right one here. Okay. There we go. And, and why am I doing this when there's the Tom Woods show? Because it's all about Tom Woods. And so we're going to play some clips. I thought this was important. We go over to the controversies. We'll kind of play some of these things. Then we're going to go over some of the category stuff yourself. I'm going to play these on 1.25 speed. So if you normally listen to a podcast fast, you might want to dial it back. It might be a little too much for you. Uh, but I think this is the way we can get through these so we can actually present Tom's 2,300 podcast interviews plus these additional four clips or so I have here 
uh, with Michael Malice. Uh, Tyler, take it away. We have as my guest two good friends of mine. Let me give the long intro. We have Matt Welch, former editor-in-chief of Reason, currently editor-at-large at Reason, co-author with Nick Gillespie of the Declaration of Independence, co-host of We the Fifth podcast. Uh, did I miss anything? Yeah, the Reason podcast, too. And the Reason podcast. And also you authored that book on uh, John McCain, the real... Uh, Myth of a Maverick. Myth yes. of a Maverick. Um, then we have Tom Woods, host of The Tom Woods Show, your daily dose of libertarian education, author of, what, seven books? You're just trolling me now. Now, how many books? It's 12. Is it really 12? Yeah, it is, yeah. Counting the ebooks? I'll, I'll send you some. <laughs> counting the ebooks, probably about 112. Okay, I, I honestly thought it was. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll mail you some more. Whatever you're missing in your collection, I'll mail you. How the Catholic Church Saved Western Civilization, Breakdown. Uh, you're making stuff up now. I'll, I'll tell you. Politically I, Incorrect Guide to American History. That's the, the big one. Created the controversy. Um, senior Fellow at the Mises Institute. That is correct. So now let me you're explain to the up. listeners why this is such a big deal. For everyone thinks that every movement outside their own is all unified and everyone gets along, whereas in reality, human beings define ourselves by opposition, and there's always schisms or schisms, however you pronounce it. That's one of the things that divides people, the pronunciation of that word. And people end up fighting what to outsiders seem like minor deals, but to those within the community actually seem like big deals, right? So this has been the case from libertarianism from the beginning. Uh, at the very least, it's since the 1940s when Ayn Rand wrote a letter to Leonard Reed, head of fee, in all caps, meaning she was holding on the shift key on her typewriter, saying that uh, Milton Friedman and George Stiegler were Stalinists for endorsing an article uh, at, talking about the pros and cons of rent control. Um, so Tom comes from the Murray Rothbard School, uh, Rothbardianism and Arco-Capitalism. Matt comes from what, I, I mean, the more mainstream, uh, the derogatory term they say is Beltway Libertarianism because you're actually trying to affect change in Washington, whereas Tom's mode of thought is let's burn it all down. These people are hopeless. And in fact, Murray Rothbard once wrote an essay uh, called Do You Hate the State? And the question is, if there was a button to destroy the government, would you press it so hard your finger would blister? And Tom would be yes, and Matt, I think, would be like, well, let's hold on a minute. Let's just see if we destroy everything. I'd at least think about you it. You'd at least think about it. So that is a fundamental difference. Now, historically, also, there have been uh, accusations from these two wings, and not from you guys personally. I want to make that mm -hmm. very, very clear. Um, Tom comes from the whole Ron Paul wing, and the accusation there is that these people attract racists and they're crypto-fascists, whereas the other accusation toward the, the Reason School and Cato and places like that is you guys are appeasers from the state. Uh, you are basically giving up the game before it's even started, and what you have to show for it uh, in the long term. Is that a fair assessment historically? Good enough for yeah, me. more or less. So you have never met. Correct. Uh, uh, I have defended Reason on Tom's show. Tom has, uh, Matt has seen me defend Tom at, at length to the, the current Libertarian Party chairman, Nicholas Sarwak, and there was a big controversy within the Libertarian Party, which is uh, Nicholas Sarwak, the new head of the LP, they ran Gary Johnson, former governor of New Mexico twice. They're thinking of running Bill Weld in 2020. And he said his position is we have to drive the Tom Woods people out of the party. Uh, and is that, is that a quote? Yes, almost regret okay. him. Uh, basically, he, he, well, he came, I mean, he said when Jason Stapleton defended me, Jason's another podcaster, uh, he said more or less, well, I'm not sure your audience is necessarily the people we're trying to attract. So he, he did go after Jason, and Jason is not even as hardcore as I He's am. A so, so anyway, I think you should go check that out. Um, it's a great interview. Uh, I, I did tweet out that that, that you should go um, take a look at it. Um, I, I think it's it's important because it's four years ago. And um, so four years ago, what was happening in the Libertarian Party? Well, you've got, the as I said, the Nick Sarwak stuff. You've got... Um, the, before the Reno reset. And so in, anyway, some, some interesting little uh, tidbits uh, going on there. Okay, uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, we're just gonna, cause I think Michael Malice is at least helping me out by giving, giving some, uh, some Tom Woods info here. So um, this one is 20 minutes in, uh, a disagreement between the two of them. This I just thought was bizarre. We were at, I think it was Freedom Fest, maybe 2011. And a guy named Jimmy Morrison, who had worked on the Gary Johnson campaign, was in the process of creating, he's now finished them finally, but 
a couple of documentary films, one about the housing bubble and one about just the financial crisis more generally, and trying to explain that there is a free market accounting of this, that this is the conventional wisdom that this was deregulation. I mean, this is not can't be reconciled with the evidence. And I had written a New York Times bestselling book on this subject, so I knew a little bit about it. So he was working on this project. He went over and got he, he wanted to see if Reason TV would at least sit down and do an interview with him because he's doing a you know they're just sitting there and it's Freedom Fest and he's doing this documentary, and they weren't interested. And it was almost certainly because of my involvement. So then he went over and physically, bodily brought Gary Johnson himself, the superstar of the Reason Universe, over to vouch for the whole project. Because Gary Johnson was a big backer of the project. And they still refused even – no, I'm not saying that any one of us has a right to an interview. But I am saying that it's likely that if that had been anybody else in the libertarian world, it would have happened. So, I, so I, my, I would, so my, I would dispute my, that, actually. Okay, well, maybe so. But my, my point is that that happened to me. But my thought was – I know there are decent people in this universe, and I'm not going to let that stop me from reaching out to them. So I have been trying in my way to not just confine myself to my normal orbit, but to in fact say, I know there are, I know there are good people who work at the Cato Institute, particularly the foreign policy people. They're great. I don't want to be isolated from any good person anywhere. That's my attitude. Yeah, I, I mean, I, was, I don't know if I was actually a, a part of that 2011 team, but I have been in the past at Freedom Fest, thankfully not so much this year, although I did in interview your uh, your friend Bill Weld uh, when I was there, uh, but uh, this year, but in the past- What was I Bill Weld doing in an event about freedom? That's, that's very funny. Yeah. Well, hey it's, it's Freedom Fest, so- um, yeah. Oh, that's not nice. Mark Skousen, I hope you're not listening. Uh, uh, Mark Skousen's a, a great friend. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, same, same with um, But uh, no, the uh, we, Reason TV would interview 30 people there and like would just be on a completely harried schedule. And it's totally possible that great people came in and said, why don't you interview me about this great project? And there was a glazed look in her eyes. And like, my God, I got to go get, you know, Thomas Massey in five seconds yeah, here. I totally, totally get that. Okay, so possibly um, not much of a disagreement, too much, uh, but anyway, you're getting some, and I'm going to work into it some more. This one gets a little bit more, um, I don't know about nasty, but it does get to be, uh, <laughs> right before this, by the way, Matt uh, makes a comment about David Bose, and he's like, oh yeah, I, I totally respect him, he's a good guy, uh, and then you have Tom doing this. <laughs> Relax, it's on topic, I promise. Our buddy Todd Stevie wrote a book called Libertarianism for Beginners. Uh, yeah, if the title doesn't tell everyone what it is, it's like this isn't the, literally the anything about libertarianism. About this describes it from. I like that book. Yeah, yeah. It talks about the movements. It talks about the history. It talks about the ideas. David Bose, who's the executive vice president of Cato Institute, I was a Cato intern. I looked up to him enormously. Um, Cato has Murray Rothbard hanging on their wall in their Hall of Fame. Uh, Murray Rothbard co-founded the Cato Institute. Um, he basically told Todd. Uh, and Todd was very vituperative, and I'm not going to quote Todd's vituperation. This was on a Facebook thread um, that here's, – here's the exact quote. I'm going to read it verbatim. He's talking about the book. He goes, search for racist in the book. You'll find more than one paragraph. And we're not talking alt-right. We're talking about an organization that has a big presence on the web and in your book. So he's alluding to the Mises Institute, which mm -hmm. Tom's associated with, without using the name, right? Which to me is I, – I don't like that. It's like if you're going to call him out, call him out. Like everyone knows what you mean. And he goes, as you'll recall, as you'll recall, when I read your manuscript, I told you, open quote, I see the attempt to conflate Austrian economics and libertarianism with racism as a potentially fatal cancer on the libertarian idea. You seem to see it as just another approach, along with objectivism, anarcho-capitalism, and minimal state libertarianism. People who try to graft their reprehensible ideas onto the idea of liberty should either be confronted or ignored in the hope that decent people won't notice them. You put them front and center in one big happy family. I don't – and I, we just talked a little bit for the show. I don't understand how if there is a group that identifies as libertarian and by his own words, they're a big presence on the web in the movement. If you're writing a book about libertarians for beginners, you can just ignore them or confront them because as an author of a book like that, your point is to be value judgment and say, he, he, you know, if I'm writing a book of the Democratic Party, I have to talk to the Democratic Socialists and I have to talk about the Democrats and it's not my place to say you know, Bernie Sanders is a commie. It's like these are their views and you have to take them at face value. So We had a paragraph or two in the Declaration 
Declaration of Independence in 2011, just kind of uh, libertarianism for beginners. Here's this thing. Yeah. And named groups. And we had the same, you know, uh, moment. You, you have to decide which groups to name. Right. And, and I didn't hesitate to talk about the Mises Institute there because it, just in, in a similar way um, uh, that you wouldn't hesitate to talk about Ron Paul. Sure. Um, and in fact, and again, we were talking about this uh, earlier. So uh, when the the Ron Paul newsletters got re rediscovered in 2008 oh, by Jamie Kerchick and Big Kerfuffle, they had uh, actually been sort of uh, talked about a lot in 1996 when he went back to Congress. Um, uh, there's a you know we wrote a lot about we sort of did investigative stuff because our, our readers were interested. Um, but uh, there was um, uh, this uh, sense by a lot of people, uh, longtime libertarian people, more in the kind of uh, uh, Washington crowd of. Like, see, you know, Ron Paul is just not a libertarian that shows it because he's part of that crowd. Uh, it's, there's sort of, sort of an, an aura, a patina of a neo-confederism around it. Um, and I wrote at the time, and again, I, my first, I think my first uh, uh, editor's note as editor of the magazine, was the headline was Ron Paul's mistake. I did not shy away from discussing uh, the paleo-libertarianism strategy, which I, I, I thought was a, a bad moment um, at all. I mean, I, every time, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, a attacked by my ANCAP friends, it's usually along those lines, like, oh, you're just trying to talk about the newsletters. But actually, in the moment, I said to try to use the news... Why don't you explain to people what these newsletters are? Uh, no. <laughs> why did yeah, you use Google? Yeah, yeah really. Let's, really. Uh, no. <laughs> Let's not do this. Tyler, why are you pay, playing clips of uh, Michael Malice with these? Well, because I, it gives a good – there's some controversial stuff, and I thought this was a, kind of a seminal moment, even though afterwards, by the way, uh, Reno takes place, the, the takeover, uh, the SPLC, uh, the – they, then the left left libertarians are the ones that were having real problems. Joe Bishop Henchman, Andy Craig, they go on this progressive podcast. I did a whole review about it. Very, very disingenuous people calling uh, Dave Smith a white national. I mean, there's it's 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 out of control. So um, I want to give Matt Welch some due here and the fact that he went with Tom because I think this is that was an important part uh, and and of of the whole coming about in a sense. So of Tom Woods. So um, let's just double check this one. Okay. Under big tent. Uh, okay. So here we go. This one would, Oh, this is the, the David Boas uh, part. Matt Welch just said a little bit ago about how he liked David. And then here's what Tom's websites for a lot of libertarian commentary from David Bowes for that matter, who, by the way, what a creep. When I met him, the one, one time I met him was out at uh, freedom fest. We were both on a public television program. One after the other. What, what kind of anarchist goes together? on public television? Yeah, your, I know. Well, I, was, I was on with Doug Casey. I mean, okay. I'm not turning that oh, well. down. Yeah, that, yeah. I'll throw all my principles in the trash to be on with <laughs> Doug Casey. But but when we, we met each other, he clearly knew who I was. He couldn't even look at me. I, I, tr I looked him right in the face and shook his hand. I mean, this is just silly, silly stupidity. Like, we can't even be civil to each other. The other thing about Bose is the other day he attacked the Mises Caucus. And go. he just he's strongly implying that the Mises Caucus is, uh, is, is alt-right and all that. And you as a journalist know full well that's not true. That if you read their platform, they could not be clearer Does about Matt this. There is shake no, his head there's yes. no connection no. between the alt right and the Mises Caucus. The Mises Caucus just no wants a radical libertarian party that places emphasis on certain Austrian themes like central banking. That's what the Mises Caucus is all about. And he attacked them on him. Mean, just a whole thing about, oh, I can't believe the good name of Mises is being besmirched by what? By idealistic young kids who want to promote the ideas of Mises? So yeah. Michael Heiss, who's the founder of the Mises Caucus, said, look, why don't you talk? Here's my phone number. Call me. There's no reason for there to be this, this kind of division. I, you know what? Take a wild guess if, if Bose called. He doesn't, do you think he wants to know? that? I, I do not believe Bose is an honorable person. In this case, he clearly has an agenda. These people are outside his orbit. He's extremely territorial. So it doesn't mean anything that he's going to smear those people's names and engage in guilt by association with people who aren't associated with anything they, sh they, uh, they should feel guilty about. That, that is just not, not, not acceptable. There you go. So uh, I, I totally agree. And, and good, good for Tom for taking him on. Okay. Well, last clip we'll play here. Um, 
with the, the Michael Malice of You're Welcome back from four years ago. Uh, Malice pushes back. Let, let me push back because he does not have an obligation to respond. You're not going to say he has an obligation to respond. Nicholas Sarwark demanded that you sign a letter like saying, I denounce fascism. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like literally every, hold on, let me finish, please. All right, all right. This isn't your show. Um, he's like, <laughs> literally every episode I have is denouncing the state and government and fascism is the government at its worst. I'm not signing an extra piece of paper just because you snap your fingers. So he does not, in all fairness, That's true. You a but response. the difference I'm is saying, that he started this one. No, no, he but, started. What, what I'm saying is by him not engaging this doesn't mean that he accepts your characterization of him. That's all I'm saying. But it means that he now knows okay. that he was wrong okay. and that he has smeared people. Okay. And if he's not going to correct that, that's a bad person. Exactly how, else would you, how else would you define that kind of behavior? I, Admirable? I, I would not. He should if, not have said that. Let me hear what Matt He should not say. have said that. I, 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 my point, let me just say, you asked yeah. me a question. What I've said to you, what I've said to you, and I've said publicly and probably many times, I'm a Big Ten person. We do not have a free country as free as it could be. And in my view, anyone who's fighting, trying to get in that direction where the reason or means is, is my friend, and I don't go after them. So I would not do what he did. Period. Right, and my, right. my entire uh, uh, career has been testament to that. And there's only been one libertarian who's gone after me publicly, and he will be dead to me forever because I think that's so grotesque and gratuitous. What did, what did I do? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I'm old. Tom and I both had birthdays this week. Yeah, uh, within a day of each other. It's I'm, a Christmas uh, miracle. I'm older than Tom uh, here. Uh, I can exclusively <laughs> reveal. So I'm, uh, I'm a little bit less heated. Uh, <laughs> in, my, in your dotage. In my dotage. I've, I got to go yeah, take a nap I, after I, this I, much I, heat. I don't have the energy I've anymore. Learned how to be calm about this. Uh, no, I mean, if I, if I wanted to sit uh, back and. Um, and catalog the list of things that libertarians have said about me that are categorically untrue, including, and I'm not saying this is you, but the reason why you think that I supported the Iraq war is that there are 10 prominent libertarians who have accused me despite there's no evidence of this, of supporting the Iraq war. Uh, well, you know why, uh, why, why miss, okay. I forgot it because you had something called war blog. Yes, that's, that's there you go. Okay. We're done with that. Uh, but I just, it was, it was good stuff. So, um, what are we going to do here? Well, we're going to give a, a, an overview of Tom's show. And then we're going to get into some clips. Hang on. Uh, day one. Day one's going to be a little bit longer. I might might edit this down a little bit. Maybe we'll do a week being like seven days. I don't know. Uh, but we'll start in here. Okay. Overview of the, of the podcast uh, topics. Does Tom have a specific topic within the libertarian movement? Well, he has a daily 30-minute-ish show. It's typically about 29. Sometimes you get in there minutes. Um, sometimes you get them an hour. Uh, five episodes a week. He's consistent and he's relevant. Uh, like I said, he's an Austrian libertarian, uh, which means uh, he's more of an anarcho-capitalist side than anything. His shows range from economics, philosophy, music, self-help, side hustle stuff. Uh, most always they interview shows and he's currently in the 2000s of show episodes count. Uh, do th does he have desks, uh, guests in what range, uh, you know, well-known? Yes. Um, matter of fact, Third episode, he has Ian Anderson of Jethro Toll. I mean, he's got Malice on there, Dave Smith, a lot of them in the libertarian movement. He is right said Fred during COVID. I mean, come on, people. Uh, he's very, he's, he's an entirely, almost an entirely an interview show. He will have sometimes if he does a speech um, or he's had some, you know, debates or whatever, he'll post those up there as an episode because you've got to do it. In 2,300 uh, episodes, you've got to, you got to, you know, dose them out in a sense. Um, he also has a, often has a week of episodes with the same person, which we've seen, Eric July week, as an example. The entire week is the 30-minute episode, the same person, different topics. Um, duration, mostly 30 minutes. Frequency, once a day. They're produced. They're not live, so you might have a day or so a delay in getting them, but five times a week is what you will get, um, unless he goes on vacation. And, and sometimes he's got them in the queue, so pre-recorded, and then you still get them out there. Tom is... Uh, how about libertarian activism? He's, I don't know, say he's an activist, but um, he's very active 
on, on, <laughs> on the libertarian stuff. Uh, takes actions such as creating lessons. He's got Liberty Classroom. He's did the Ron Paul homeschool curriculum. Uh, gives out a free ebook or topic doing uh, doing speeches. He has a, a business side hustle type of thing, uh, paying membership, yearly dues, and he helps coach like a business coaching thing that he did. Uh, Tom's Woods announcements type of thing. Uh, I mean, he did an announcement, and then it's anyway. You, you have like a community of people. It's kind of think of Jason Stapleton, you know, his his uh, whatever his thing is called. I think it's that kind of thing, and it helps personal one on one coaching. Um, small community doing good things for him. Um, who do you think is the most popular member of the LP um, or the Liberty Movement or whomever that he's had on as a guest? The Guest Hall of Fame. I've done some digging in this. Now, I may have missed it. And I put a, a tweet out saying, you know, who is the most prominent? And I said, you've got, I'll list them in um, alphabetic order. Gene Epstein, uh, Scott Horton, Michael Malice, Lou Rockwell. And what do you think they think of the drum roll? Oh, that's cheering. Well, either way, it's uh, Scott Horton and Michael Malice tied right now at 59 episodes each. I've got Gene Epstein and Lou Rockwell tied at 43. Uh, Jeff Deist is 36. Kevin Gutsman's 28. Brian McClanahan's 24. Dave Smith at 23. Michael Bolden at 19. Brad Bircher. Um, we're going to play some of his stuff, actually. 16. Stefan Kinsella, 12. and But Tom Woods, almost 2,300 episodes so tom wins wins uh other than that it's uh, scott horton and michael malice tie i think the uh, horton might be might actually be a what do you call it um a surprise okay uh, i want to show you tom's website real quick um most people should have uh, heard of this one because he talks about it uh but here we go um 2304 episodes this is what's great about them they're all numbered they're all um, noted and if you go all the way down to the bottom here, uh, episode one, uh, the heroic TAC, which is the 10th amendment center with Michael Bolden, uh, Ben Swan was second, Ian Anderson. Um, then he had some speeches in here. Daniel McAdams has been on a bunch, but not as much. How about Robert Murphy? You know what? I didn't, I didn't check for Robert Murphy. If you just go Robert Murphy as it shows 12 that comes up in the search. So not as much as you might think, but he did have a, a show. And my point is, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be as much as Malice or, or um, Scott Horton. Um, anyway, uh, good stuff there. Um, each show has, if you take a look as an example, we'll just look at this one. Dave Smith, um, you click on it, comes up. There's the iTunes. There's a YouTube version. Um, any of the the links that they talk about there. Sometimes they talk about other episodes within there. So he has a great one. And most of his uh, episodes are, are numbered, you know, tomwoods.com slash episode number. Uh, and he does a good job with this. Um, so you're able to find all this stuff. It was one of the easiest ones. Now, most difficult for me to go look back through and, and uh, check out uh, clips and whatnot, but the easiest to, to actually navigate through their website. Okay, we're going to start with episode one here, uh, so you get an idea of kind of his intro and who, what, what it talked about here. Um, this one was not on YouTube, which is the easier way for me to kind of clip it as we were done before. So I had to make videos, and we'll just do this up here. So it's just going to be <laughs> the audio. Do you get, have this one? Uh, but well, we'll play the first four minutes or so, uh, so you get an idea of how his first show was. The audio wasn't as good, and when you're going to have Michael Bolton. Here we go. In free market principles to save the free market system. In a world of conventional confusion, uh, there will be time for them to make profits. 
Uh, now's not that time. Daddy, what's a taxi pay for? Oh, why, everything. Policemen, trees, sunshine. And let's not forget the folks who just don't feel like working. God bless them. Don't be afraid of your freedom. Prepare to unshackle your mind. An idea whose time has come cannot be stopped by any army or any government. Your professor has arrived. Tom Woods. Beware, citizen. You are now departing from the world of allowable opinion. The Tom Woods Show. There's a little rush in there. Typical libertarian opening. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are actually here. After What did it take, 18 years to get this thing going? I don't know what he's recording with his phone. This is, of course, Tom Woods, and here we are on the inaugural episode 18 years later. My thanks to everybody who made this possible, everybody who contributed to make it possible. My thanks to Peter Schiff, to Tom Elliott, the whole Schiff radio team who's responsible for this, A.J. Slyke, my producer, all you guys who are so generous with me and who, who listen in, and I sure, I sure appreciate that. Before we get started, though, talking about uh, who we're having on as our guest, I think you guys know we're having uh, Michael Bolden on as our guest. Let me, let me also note, I'm not doing calls this week, all right? So calls are just right out. And the reason for that is that I just consider it a miracle that I'm on the air at all. Like, I have to take baby steps here. i got to get my feet wet a little bit. So call Ixnay on the calls for now. But by next week, we'll be super sophisticated and, and ready, to do, ready to do some calls. All right, so now that I think I'm on the air, I just went over and told the Facebook people that I'm on the air. If you're not following me on Facebook, Go to TomWoodsRadio.com and click like over there. But now that I feel confident enough that the thing is running, I figured I would go ahead and tell them. Uh, before, we, before we bring our, our uh, guest on, I, I first want to um, just tell you what we're going to do on this show because we're going to have some fun on this show. What I want to do is basically keep you guys informed and help you guys learn new things while still being entertaining. And half the time, I'm going to be learning right along with you guys. There are a lot of topics that are interesting to me, that we all need to, that we should all know more about, and that I myself feel I should know about. Like, I don't want to just have guests on who are just going to repeat what I would already be saying to you. I want to learn stuff. So, for example, next week, we are uh, we're going to have Larry Pratt on from Gun Owners of America. And the reason we're having Larry Pratt on is because people are interested in gun issues, but also because, I'm going to admit this now to all you guys listening to the first show, I don't know that much about guns. I'll be honest with you. Okay, I just, sorry, I just don't. I should, and I don't. So I figure I'll have the, the world's expert on and come ask us, be able to ask him questions, get the gist of it, right? And I know if you're in the liberty movement, you're too ashamed to tell the world that you don't know as much about guns as you feel you should. So this is the sort of thing we'll do from time to time. So I have a show where we're just going to start from the ground up, right? We're just going to teach it to you. Or we're talking about the Fed. We're not going to assume that everybody is a PhD economist. What's the Fed doing and why is it wrong in normal English? That's the kind of thing I want to do so that People who believe in the freedom message will understand it better, be able to defend it better, and we'll do it with guests that we enjoy talking to, we enjoy, enjoy hearing from. So current events, interesting and important topics. Half the time, I'm going to be learning just as much as you are. And the great thing about being the host is you can ask experts questions and not feel guilty, and not feel guilty asking because, you know, hey, they're on, the, they're on the show. They're getting publicity. That's how when I first was looking into that primal blueprint way of eating – we had uh, Mark Sisson on the Peter Schiff show when I was guest hosting. And the reason I did that is that my wife and I had a lot of questions we wanted to ask him. And I figured if I'm just some schmo who asks him out of the blue, he's going to feel kind of put upon. But if I have him on the show, I can ask him anything I want. Also, if there's some article that's going around Facebook and you just don't know how to answer it and it's driving you crazy because all your friends are telling you this refutes everything you believe in and you don't quite know what to do about it, well, send it along to us and we'll do it on the air. And these days I am just 
absolutely overwhelmed with work because of this Ron Paul homeschool program that I'm making videos for, ronpaulhomeschool.com. So I don't, unfortunately, have the blogging time that I used to. But if I'm sitting here on the air for a half hour and I got an article in front of me, man, that'd be fun. I have no problem going through that baby. So we'll do that. Tell me what the, what's the annoying article of this week that's going around the Internet. And if, if I don't feel like I'm good enough to answer that one, we'll bring somebody else on. We'll do it together. We'll have some fun. Now, the first week. Okay, so why was I even playing that? Well, I think, first of all, you, I, I wanted you a little extra long, but it's his very first open. You get an idea of the the, the intro that he had. Uh, I think it's also interesting when you start to, and I do this all the time, hey, uh, you know, give me some ideas or throw some stuff at me. We always are looking for those kind of things. When you have a show, especially this is your first one, you don't know how successful it's going to be, if it's going to take off. You hope that so. So you're kind of engaging the audience of, uh, let's, you know, give me <laughs> give me some some homework in a sense. Uh, make me feel, and, and I, that's perfectly fine. Uh, he didn't know he was going to uh, take off. Okay, uh, we're going to start playing some clips here. Uh, brings Michael Bolden on, 10th Amendment Center. All right, that, that should do it. So as I say, unfortunately, no calls, just because I am getting my feet wet on here, and we want to see how this works. So I want to double check here. Let me see if... Um, let me see who I have here with me. Do I have Michael Bolden yet? You sure do, Tom. All right, Mike. I didn't recognize your number. What are you? You're, you're killing me here. <laughs> I didn't recognize. I'm going you. in. I'm coming in incognito. Wanted to scare you. Think there was already a caller. Uh, <laughs> but let's get to it. This is exciting. Right, this is sure. awesome. The maiden voyage. Everything's working. Everything sounds awesome. The lineup of guests. I mean, the fact, no, other than me, Ben Swan and Lou Rockwell. I mean, this is this yeah, is really cool. Thanks for, right. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, oh, it's gonna be. That's gonna be great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you and then Ben Swan. And I'm hoping to have. Ian Anderson on Wednesday, and then Lou Rockwell. I mean, oh, wow. it's, it's just a, so anyway, it's so wonderful of you to join me because a lot of people, I think, figure, well, he'll have Ron Paul on his first show. And, and we all love Ron Paul, and I want to have him on as soon yeah. as I can. You can't test the show out with Ron Paul. No, but no, me, right, you definitely can. Right. What if the audio drops out, right? Like, what, you know, what if, no, whatever, no, I, right? What if smoke is coming out of my mixer, right? I can't have that happen. So I figure, let's get a sucker like Bolden on the show. <laughs> yeah, Bolden will do it. Whenever you want to test something out, call Bolden. All right, so we're talking to Michael Bolden, executive director and the founder of the Tenth Amendment Center, which you can visit at tenthamendmentcenter.com. First of all, you started this thing during the second term of George W. Bush, when nobody cares about the Tenth Amendment, right? George W. Bush is the great conservative leader everybody's been waiting for. So why did you do it? Well, I don't, you know, I started out as an anti-war activist that worked uh, with the hard left um, uh, back in the, the day that the, the Iraq war started in 2003. I was out marching with the communists, and I just started recognizing over time that well, there you go. So that's the start of that one. Uh, we're going to play two more clips of Michael Bolden on the show. Um, and I just kind of wanted to give you an idea of how it's working. And, and by the way, I've done this when you go back through the old catalogs, Pete Quinones show, uh, Lions of Liberty. And it's interesting to hear ep, you know clips from episode one and give them their due because uh, Michael Bolden has been on a bunch of shows as well. Give him his due. Let let him see how he. And anyway, so here's Michael Bolden talking about the growth of the tenth amendment. Center. I mean, you recently just passed. I mean, now you're at what 106,000 Facebook likes. Like, how do you go from a guy in his apartment to a guy who's still, in, still his apartment? in that apartment? Yeah, right. I'm still in okay. that apartment. But he's still in that apartment, and he with state chapters all over the place who are doing things you don't even know about, and who and, and you're getting calls from the New York Times for comment constantly. And it, you know, people say, well, we're talking to Michael Bolton of the Tenth Amendment Center, and they get the sense that the Tenth Amendment Center is this huge building with like a Greek temple facade, and you know, and it's it's your apartment. Like, how did you, like, how the heck does somebody do this? Well, 
it's it's about dedication, believing in something. I think uh, the fact that I started this out with thirty bucks and an eleven dollar an hour part time job means that if you believe in something and stick to it, just like the the individual who started the the recall petition, one of them recently commented on our website, "Hey, we're all learning that one person who really believes in something." can actually accomplish a great deal. Not everybody's going to you know, have an idea and turn it into a movement that's approved by 52% of mainstream voters like nullification is today. Uh, but you know, each of us in our own sphere can certainly accomplish a great deal, provided we say, you know what, maybe I'll turn off this piece of entertainment. Keep a little bit because, I mean, anybody who watches my Facebook page knows that I want to live free by trying to enjoy what the world has to offer, but balance that with putting a lot of energy towards resistance to the state and I mean the state, not necessarily the states, but government, government power. And if you have a really good balance, you can keep yourself sane and work really hard. One person can accomplish much. I mean, I've created a movement in many ways by working hard and having great people around me working on the same thing. And these people who have tens of millions of dollars in their Washington, D.C. Beltway organization, they buy buildings. So that's why they're attacking us, even though we have nothing financially compared to them, because we work together for truth. Okay, so uh, good stuff from Michael Bolden. Just kind of give you an understanding of the Tenth Amendment Center, and then this last one uh, will actually go into a little bit more depth of kind of what they're doing. I thought this one was great because he talks about Mark Levin, who's big in the conservative movement and is a prominent, you know, conservatives quote unquote attorney. Uh, I don't know how much he's actually done with that, uh, but he wrote a book, I, I, which I got uh, about the Supreme Court, and it was very interesting. But anyway, here we go. About a few minutes on this one about Mark Levin, though, because you, you made reference to him a minute ago. And you know, every time you talk about Mark Levin, people will say – they'll either say, leave Mark Levin alone. He's a good patriot. He's on your side. Yeah, a lot of people on my side are calling me names and smearing me in front of millions of people. Sure, he's, he's my best friend. Or other, other times people will say, well, who cares about Mark Levin? You know, talk about something substantive. But this is substantive. A guy with that size audience who in effect is attacking all people who support nullification as, as, as kooks, that's newsworthy. You have to talk about that. But – Let's actually focus, though, on apparently you read his book, The Liberty Amendments, and I know one of no, his I've, proposed – oh, you haven't? I haven't read it. No, no, I'm not going to But are you familiar with but – but you wrote it. Yeah, yeah, I know what, what he's doing. Yeah. Of, yeah, of course, yeah. All right, so what do you think? I mean, for example, one of his proposals, from what, the way I understand it, is that there would be a constitutional amendment that would allow three-quarters of the states to invalidate a federal law. Now, the, the Gutsman version is two-thirds. I, I, I would say one state, but of course uh, you know, I may, maybe not everybody agrees with me. But, I mean, do you think there's any merit whatsoever in Levin's approach? Leaving aside what a jerk he is and how he acts, he's not a gentleman and he acts like a three-year-old. Like, we, we all, everybody with a brain knows that about the guy. But in terms of his ideas, do you think there's any merit to them at all? Are they a good supplement to nullification? Are they a distraction? The is, there, is there any likelihood that this be implemented? Tom's microphone's well, okay, gotten so better. The way I first back up, which I think is interesting, is Southern Poverty Law Center, MSNBC, and Maddow call nullification a crazy right-wing movement. I'm listed as one of the 30 leaders of the radical right uh, by the Southern Poverty Law, Law Center. And then you have people like Levin, who gets on the air last week, who says the nullification movement is a radical left-wing movement being pushed by kooks. So it's fascinating how they... They try to polarize these things. Well, nullification, as you know, Tom, is used by both the left and the right. When you're nullifying federal drug laws on yep. marijuana, like they've done here in California since 1996, or more recently in Colorado and Washington State, that's generally supported by those on the left along with libertarians. And then when you're trying to nullify federal gun laws, like laws passed in Alaska and Kansas, you're generally coming from the political right and libertarian. So what's fascinating is that libertarians can actually cross the spectrum and work on this on all sides, but the, the mass is either left or right, and it really can't be pinned down to one side or the other. And I think that's part of why these people freak out, because they really can't put us into a box. When they attack, what I do is being lefty, and I'm talking about being anti-war and opposing the drug war, they, you know, it makes their heads explode, and vice versa. Now, 
the Article 5 is certainly a legitimate process, and when people like Kevin Gutzman and Mike Church are promoting it, I think there's something very legitimate to it. Uh, obviously, it's part of the Constitution. Uh, so, I mean, that, and that in itself, I have to make clear, running a constitutional organization, the word constitutional does not mean the word good. These are not interchangeable. Mm. So it is constitutional for Congress to declare war, for example, on Syria, even though they aren't necessarily considering that. They're considering a transfer of war delegating power, war declaring powers to the executive. But that's with the proposal. 2014. They can do that, but just because October. it's constitutional doesn't mean, A, it's a good idea, and B, you should go along with this. James Madison in Federalist Number 46 that was very specific about saying that, you know, in the states you should refuse to cooperate with officers of the union, resist federal actions, whether they're either constitutional and what he called – or what he said was unwarrantable measures, which are unconstitutional, or warrantable but just unpopular. So they can do something that's, quote, constitutional but wow. just bad policy, and this is still a very important natural right of resistance to these people. Now, as far as Article 5, obviously it's part of the Constitution. It's, I don't, you know, it's hard for me to say that proposals that would limit federal power are bad. So a proposal to say that, okay, uh, there's going to be another check on federal power via two-thirds of the states, like Kevin says, or three-quarters, I don't think that's necessarily a bad proposal. Whether I agree that we can find enough states to uh, go along with something like this rather than maybe repealing the Second Amendment or something like that, I don't know if it's going to play out like that. Who knows how anything's going to play out? But what I do like to do is, and I follow Anthony Gregory's great advice on this, is I, I don't want to necessarily poo-poo anyone's idea who wants to resist government power. Okay, there you go. I, I, once again, I, I thought it was really good to have that. It's the episode one. We're not going to go episode one, two, three, 2,304. We're just going to pick some of those. Like I said, 460 out of the first day, I picked some of the gems I thought were important in there. Um, so there, Michael Bolden he deserves it. It's the first episode. However, you come to episode two, and I first have to just say that, or two, three, was Ian Anderson. Now, who is who is Ian Anderson? He's the lead singer slash flute player slash plays guitar. I think he also plays piano of Jethro Tull. I've been a big fan of Jethro Tull for years. Matter of fact, this podcast was inspired by Jethro Tull. If you ever go online or go to YouTube and I'm going to play a clip here that I just dug out and, and you go to, um, you know, a flutist or a, a singing teacher react or anybody reacts type of videos. That's kind of what this podcast is about. The reaction video itself and I was watching some of these Jethro Tull reaction videos, which uh, Locomotive Breath, by the way, one of my favorite songs. Um, and, and, and to see in the way that these people react, that's, I'm like, hey, I, I, I want to do something like that with the podcasting. So I'm not, not just like, oh, my God, you know, surprised that I like this podcast, but doing a reaction to podcasts. So we do a podcast about podcasts, reacting to them. I've done re anyway. It's, 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 a, it's a meta weird uh, thing that we have going on with that inspiration in mind. Um, I just thought we would play this uh, real quick here. Uh, it's a little, <laughs> it's a little thing I had about uh, Jethro Tull, and I took it off online. And uh, take a look here. Most of these people have never heard of Jethro Tull. I mean, this is like 1978, I want to say. Well, those intros, they set you up. Uh-oh.
I'm not gonna watch the whole video. Don't worry. I, I spliced a bunch of reactions into one. Getting the Almond Brothers feel. holding a, a float there. A float. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's float. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. I feel like these guys are pretty talented. Yeah, that's a good point. I was kind of thinking the same thing. children jumping off the stations one by one his woman and his best friend in bed and having fun so the train is his life Ooh. <laughs> i love it when they don't know the flute's coming There you go. So that's Ian Anderson. He's amazingly talented. Jethro Tull, a great progressive rock band. Tom loves prog rock, and he has several interviews about it, bonus episodes, uh, and we're going to maybe, maybe touch into some of those. So uh, here we go with Ian Anderson. Uh, that's that's the guy. I mean, now he's, he's older because these are, you know, dude from the 70s. Uh, but, and by the way, Ian Anderson, I saw an interview with him, and he's like, um, so uh, he never was taught to play the flute. He didn't, he wasn't like going to school, but he was in a band and he, he's like, I, I'm never going to be able to play the the guitar. Like, you know, some, some Eric Clapton, I think is what he actually said. So he went into a music store and he's like, how about the flute? And I'm like, yeah, no rock band has a flute, but the dude is ridiculous. So anyway, uh, we'll talk about this here a little bit. Uh, Ian Anderson. How good the new material would be and how well it would translate to the stage. So that's got to be gratifying. Yeah, I think the, the moment when I started to write the album, I was very much um, uh, trying to put something together with a lot of visual references and things that uh, 
that I could do in terms of staging that, that would make it a, a performance piece. And, and so I was constantly relating back to the original Thick as a Brick and how that might be staged too, you know, what sort of visual imagery we could be using in terms of our video screen and um, additional performers and so on. The way that we present the show, it had to tie together. So, yeah, I, I very much wrote the album whilst all the time thinking about almost writing a writing a performance, you know, writing a, a concert live performance, which... Um, I didn't do in detail, really, until after I'd finished the recording. But certainly in quite a lot of places, I had a fairly good idea how I was going to do the, the performance side of it, the, the actual stage production side of it, while I was writing, rehearsing, and recording the album. It, it, the detail came later when I sat down to write the show um, in the couple of weeks after I finished recording the album. Now, you're currently on another leg of the tour. I attended a show on the first tour, first leg of the tour. I flew down to Chicago because I didn't know there was going to be a second leg, and I couldn't imagine missing performance of Thick as a Brick all the way through, which hadn't been done in 40 years. So where does the current leg of the tour take you? Okay, we didn't need to well, talk about the, tour, uh, the, the current leg of the tour. I just, there we go. Um, kind of not actually the, the segment I wanted to play. Uh, anyway, this is a kind of a reaction, a words of advice, uh, I think, uh, from Ian Anderson. Although my 10-year-old daughter, Regina, is taking up the flute, and she loves Ian Anderson. I'm sure she would love some parting words of wisdom from you. Uh, have you any for her? <laughs> um, well, it's always, always dangerous trying to uh, impart words of wisdom to people, regardless of their age, but particularly scary when the um, young people who are at that point of, I guess, wanting to distill a lot of confusing thoughts. But um, I suppose it would be that, um, you know, nothing nothing in life is terribly easy. And, and there's the things... Well, it's actually summed up best by by an ex-American president, by by Kennedy, who oh, said, yeah. having had his nose rubbed in it uh, yeah. by uh, by the Ruskies when they uh, not only got Sputnik so say, like, into Marilyn orbit Monroe. before the Americans could uh, do the same, but then managed to get Yuri Gagarin 51 years ago uh, into space. And, of course, the big comeback was the promise to take America to the moon within 10 years. And, and Kennedy said something that, that is meant a lot to me over the years, which is we, we, we don't choose to go to the moon. I'm paraphrasing it. We don't choose to go to the moon because it's easy. We choose to go to the moon because it's hard. In other words, things that do seem daunting, do seem like a, an impossible challenge, are very often the things that really do drive people to excellence, to achievements. And he wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about thousands of people that had to be uh, doing their best, had to achieve excellence to to, to, to do what he had promised the American people he'd do in 10 years. Not that uh, he was the guy there at the time, but uh, you know, it, it, that, that meant a great deal to me. And I, I suppose that's, in a way, carves out a, a good motto for life, doesn't it? To choose to do some things, not because they're easy, but because they are hard, as he said in his Bostonian American accent, but it's you know, hard, difficult. And um, I, think, I think that's a good, a good lesson to keep in mind. And it does buzz. I don't know that that's the greatest advice from for the government uh, or from the government. Um, and look, not always uh, hard. Uh, point is, that's 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 some things to think about. Uh, sometimes the hard things, when you get through them, is what makes you stronger. I don't know that you necessarily need to pick the harder path. Um, but um, anyway, good. Uh, look, and, and the point is, this is a gentle toll. It's a big time music uh, musician, uh, amazing guy, Ian Anderson. And Tom Woods on episode three was able to get him on his show. Very impressive. Uh, episode 41, we're skipping a bit ahead. This one, Tom just ends up doing a kind of a replay of a, of a, of a, inter, what, a speech he had done 
Uh, he said he made it up at the last minute, and it was about it caught me. Rothbard changed my mind on war. Episode forty-one. We're gonna do uh, one clip in here. Ready, go. Uh, counterfeiting. It's money. They go after you for that. Uh, if you don't register for the draft, they're gonna come find you. I mean, you know. I mean, it's they want to protect themselves. They want to protect the institution. Now, how does it get away with all this? And Rothbard said, it's the bamboozling of the public. Okay. It's the intellectual class that has a special relationship with the state apparatus, and it's their job to explain to us why we need these people and how necessary this all is. And it comes in different forms. We have economists who tell us, well, the government activates the Keynesian multiplier, which allows us to be prosperous. Or, or it's other people who say the government protects you from those bad people on the other side of that mountain or whatever it is. And, and if it weren't for them, well, you would just be thrown on your own your own devices and where would you be and you know whereas today of course if if there's an intruder in your house well the government is right there it's, you know within 45 minutes of you picking up that phone and being dead on the floor so anyway so we get this whole thing from the intellectual class and we just accept it we just go we don't have any it takes an incredible amount of imagination to imagine a different way of living and I certainly didn't have that kind of imagination. I wouldn't have been original enough to think the way Rothbard thought about alternatives. But then in War, Peace, and the State, he applies libertarian theory to foreign policy and explains why the non-interventionist position is the correct one from the point of view of libertarianism. And what also impressed me is that here's a free market economist who's speaking out against war. This, this is a, a rare combination. And yet today it doesn't seem rare at all, but that's just because we're enjoying the fruits of the, the ground that was, was, was uh, planted. The seeds that were planted by people like Rothbard now are beginning to, to uh, blossom. But the key thing to me, getting out of the Rothbard work on this, is that there is no we in all this. We, we often hear, even, even people on the left who, who may be sometimes good on, on war, they'll say, you know, we keep bombing these people and we shouldn't do it. And I say, what do you mean by we? I haven't bombed anybody. What are you talking about? I, I, I've done everything I can to stop them from bombing people. Or we starve them with our sanctions. We? Our? Stop talking like this. They starve those people with their sanctions. The state is a separate entity from us. It is not part of us. But this whole we are the government thing, that's a great propaganda breakthrough because it makes you begin to think, well, you know, this, this really is an expression of my own will. It's an extension of my own will one way or the other. And so if you insult the foreign policy of my government, you are insulting me. All right, solid stuff. And by the way, I, uh, he just had a, a recent sh uh, episode with uh, Pete Quinones, and he talked about the Vietnam War. There's a two-minute clip in there. Maybe I'll play that uh, before we, we head out at, uh, on the, the week of Tom, uh, Tom Woods. I almost said Tom Cruise. Uh, and it talks about kind of the entrapment of the left getting you in the pro uh, the anti-war movement in Vietnam. It, it, I, to me, it, it struck um, – it really hit something. So I thought it was good. He set up in a dormitory room in Oxford, England, and figured out how to dodge the draft. All right, can we cut this right here? Yeah. Now, th th this, again, I love Pat. I love him. But the idea that Bill Clinton's time, time for what? Like the regime can dispose of my life in some, uh, you know, proxy war in Vietnam? Are, are you out of your mind?
and I, I will say that in in terms of um, you know what interactions with Pat I've had, the maybe the proudest one, one of the times he was on the Tom Woods show, I pushed back uh, against him on the Vietnam War, and I know that he helped. Uh, Nixon formulate the policy and formulate the speeches. I, you know, there's there's no changing his mind on that. He's not going to say all that stuff I did was wrong and we shouldn't. I mean, that's just not happening. But I I said to him, look, the the war was the incubator of a very radically left um, kind of ins cultural insurrection in the country, and. As, as it turns out, after the war was over and the U.S. ended up losing that war, there was no, it didn't matter. It, it made no difference. Uh, there, the, there was no solid communist bloc in Southeast Asia that Cambodia and Vietnam were, uh, had their problems with each other after that. Uh, but it had no effect on the U.S. at all. All we did was spend an enormous amount of money, create an enormous amount of price inflation, uh, lead to 58,000 deaths and who knows how many uh, injuries among Americans, uproot people from their lives and homes. And I said, now that is a recipe for cultural revolution. And you've got to avoid that unless it is absolutely life or death. And as we can see from the result of the war, it wasn't life or death. It didn't affect us. So can't we just say maybe we shouldn't have done it? And I'll say, Pat, uh, uh, Pete, I came within inches of getting him to concede that. But she's back. Chick-fil-A is completely overrated. It's not that good. I prefer Zaxby's. I prefer Popeye's. Takes a tough man to make a tender forecast, Nick. And I guess that's me. Keep fucking that chicken. <laughs> Should I vote for Dick Cheney on the Libertarian Party? Do I yes. have an obligation to vote for Dick Cheney? I would say so. Yes. Did it work for those people? <laughs> no. It never does. I mean, these people somehow delude themselves into thinking it might, but... But it might work for us. That one dude was like, not a podcast, I can't find it anywhere. And they don't have video. <laughs> oh, yeah, Peter Janky. Yeah. Yeah, I blocked him. I'll do it. If he unblocks me, I'll... I'll... He'll buy your shirt if you unblock him, Bert. He's a wigger. Yeah, nothing cooler than so a 49-year-old wigger. Like, I just started I live streaming. Cut me some slack. I'm fucking... I'm pretty high-tech for a boomer. Uh, but... Anyways, I'm...